Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Alaris Q2 2021 Earnings Release Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question-answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Darren Driscoll, Chief Financial Officer, please go ahead. Thank you, Maddie, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Laris Equity Partners Conference Call and webcast to discuss the financial results for the three and six months end of June 30th, 2021, as well as a brief corporate update. I'm Darren Driscoll, Chief Financial Officer of Laris. I'm joined on this call by Steve King, President and CEO. After a short presentation from Steve and I, there will be a question and answer session. The lines will be placed on mute until then to avoid background noise. Before we begin, I'd like to remind our listeners that all amounts given are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. Listeners are cautioned that comments made today may contain forward-looking information. These forward-looking information, uh, this forward-looking uh, information is based on a number of important factors and assumptions, and as a result, actual results could differ materially. Additional information concerning the underlying factors, assumptions, and risks is available in last night's press release and our MDNA for the period under the headings forward-looking statements and risk factors, copies of which are available on CDAR at uh, CDAR.com, as well as our website. Non-IFRS data is also presented and may differ from the way other companies present such data. And as with forward-looking statements, please refer to last night's press release and our MDNA for a period for more clarification regarding those non-IFRS measures. Uh, we certainly appreciate everybody uh, uh, taking time out of a sunny summer day to, uh, to join us for our Q2 results. We were certainly very excited to get, uh, get these numbers out. Uh, some of the highlights I'll go through here, um, you know, Q2 revenue of $34.9 million, a record for us, ahead of $33.8 million guidance. And that's despite some FX headwinds and uh, due to some extra common dividends from FNC and Emer, uh, of no total common dividends of a million dollars in the quarter as well as a cash flow sweep accrual for SCR of $500,000 in addition to the, to the monthly amounts that they're paying us. Uh, well ahead of Q2 numbers last year, as Q2 2020, uh, you'll recall, had nothing in revenue from Planet Fitness and Body Contours, and the total from those two partners was $4 million in the current quarter. Add to that a bunch of new deployment revenue made for a, a record quarter of revenue in, uh, in the current quarter. Uh, Q2 normalized EBITDA was $32.2 million. Uh, regrettable typo when the press release said 31.2, but the MDNA has the correct number and the details behind it. Uh, that 30.32.2 is well ahead of guidance, well ahead of the 17 million of the prior year, obviously due to those new partner revenue and a soft Q2 2020 due to Planet Fitness and Body Contours. Our G&A of 1.9 million, again well under prior period, uh, prior year period, as the trust conversion costs were significant last year. And our Q2 numbers, uh, recent deployment, and of course, Planet Fitness returning to full distributions led to a decision to increase the annual distribution by 6.5% to $1.32 annually, 
or 33 cents per quarter. Of note, our run rate payout ratio is still under 65% after this increase. And I'd like to add that if we do get uh, the redemptions as we're expecting from Federal Resources and Kimco uh, back before any further deployment, our payout ratio will still be below, be below our target of 70%. Also worth noting, the cash we're generating quarterly is not insignificant. Uh, and for example, just uh, late yesterday, we paid down $7, sorry, $7 million US of debt out of the cash flow we've generated. Our debt at September 30th was uh, just under 2.6 times. Uh, since then, we've paid down uh, some, uh, as, as noted above, as well as uh, funds from the CCCOM redemption on July 2nd. Our covenants shift back to normal at September 30th, so if by chance we're still over 2.5 at uh, September, I will have until December 31st to get it back under 2.5 times, but uh, nothing we're expecting any problems with. Um, from the finance statements on the balance sheet, quite a few fair value changes in Q2. In aggregate, including the common units, uh, an increase of $16.2 million to our book value, or $0.36 cents per unit. I'll hit uh, some of the larger ones. This on and on July 2nd, we received $11 million U.S. and have uh, fully exited CCCOM. Uh, Planet Fitness, uh, a fair value increase of uh, U.S. $5 million. Full distributions restarted in July. Their bank covenants are in great shape, and TTM EBITDA is increasing monthly. Uh, they've also seen membership levels get almost back to pre-COVID levels. Federal Resources, a uh, fair value increase of 5.4 million U.S. Uh, they are continuing to close in on a redemption, and this write-up gets us closer to that redemption amount. And we're getting more clarity daily uh, on this one. Uh, and I would note that if, if, if the transaction that they're working on does not um, uh, com get uh, completed, uh, they, have, uh, they will have the balance sheet uh, wherewithal to uh, take us out, so we certainly expect this with a high degree of certainty in 2021. Accent, uh, a fair value increase of $1.1 million U.S. Uh, that one is certainly looking like a top of the collar reset in 2022, and business is performing extremely well. A couple of decreases to, to note LMS, $4.9 million Canadian uh, reduction. Uh, that's our only uncollared partner. Uh, they've seen some margin pressure with the rising price of steel, so expecting a larger decrease than we were expecting last quarter. Uh, but LMS still with an excellent ECR uh, and will always be our most volatile on the fair value line. Uh, for example, uh, four years ago, the fair value was $36 million, four straight double-digit adjustments, with 2019 being close to a 40% increase, took it to $52 million, and now today we're sitting at $47 million, looking ahead to next year's reset. Uh, Brown and Settle at uh, a fair value reduction of 3.3 million U.S. Uh, Brown and Settle performs large projects, the timing of which can impact monthly cash flows. The first five months of their 2021 year has seen some margin pressure due to project and customer mix, as well as some of those large project delays, which results in a fair value decrease in the current quarter. These projects have since started. Their backlog is robust. They have an ECR over 1.2 times, and so the long-term business case is still well intact. Uh, for Kimco, we didn't touch the fair value this quarter as they continue to proceed toward a redemption, but we don't have as much certainty as we do with Federal Resources to increase the fair value to uh, the redemption value just yet. The business continues to form exceptionally, and I'll note if a redemption doesn't occur, Kimco would uh, still have one of our highest ECRs with no debt. Uh, worth noting, they've been generating so much cash in the last bit. In the last six months, they've repaid 
$4 million of previously unpaid distributions, and $4 million of promissory notes. Uh, fair values for the common units were up approximately $2 million as P Planet Fitness, Amur, and Kerry were up, offset by a small decrease to Brown and Settle. And we now have five months of financial results for all of our partners and are starting to anticipate what our total aggregate resets for 22 and currently expecting another increase um, north of $2 million or four or five cents uh, per unit. Top of the collar resets from large revenue streams from Planet Fitness, GWM, Body Contours, Axiot, DNT, and FNC, um, with a, even with an with a uncollared decrease from LMS, uh, still looks like a real positive uh, um, organic growth again in the portfolio. Uh, deployment in Q2 did include a new investment in DNM, a car leasing business out of Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, $62.5 million in preferred units and $7.5 million in common. Uh, I should note in these, uh, for these common units, we certainly don't expect any common dividends in the near term as they are, have lots of growth opportunities to focus on. Total capital deployed for the first six months is already a record year at $260 million. A couple of uh, notes on our partners. Uh, the portfolio continues to perform extremely well. Our weighted average ECR is now over 1.75 times and at an all-time high. We now have 16 out of 20 partners. That's 80% of them that have an ECR of over one and a half times. And nine of those 15 are over two times. And no partner is below 1.2 times. Um, something Steve and I have talked about in 13 years of public company investor presentation, our diversification goal was to have no partner greater than 10%, and today I'm pleased to say our largest partner is now 10%. Our outlook for Q3 2021 calls for revenue of $37.5 million, and our G&A uh, remains uh, well inside of uh, annual expectations. Before I hand it over to Steve, I, I would like to make a couple of comments on a, on a certain section toward the end of the press release. Uh, being the CFO of Laris has, has quite simply been the best job I could have ever had, and I have certainly enjoyed every minute of it. I am looking forward to assisting our new CFO, Amanda Fraser, during this transition period, and having worked closely with her for the last eight years uh, at Laris, I am certain she's going to do a tremendous job. She and I have talked about this uh, the last year or so, and uh, she shadowed me for this Q2 process, and I'll be here to, here to assist her through Q3 results and whatever else she and Steve and the rest of the team need for me over the next few months. I want to thank my pal since the late 80s, Steve, for inviting me on this incredible journey, and also a huge thanks to the entire team at Laris, our board, all of our partners, our shareholders, and our business partners for making this such an amazing experience. My wife Sally and I are excited to head off on this new chapter of our lives, and I cannot wait to be on the end of this conference call for many years to come. So I'll pass it over to Steve for some more comments before moving to Q&A. I'm not sure there's uh, too much left for me, <laughs> but thanks, Darren. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with uh, the quarter. I'm not aware of a meaningful statistic for a company that isn't at an all-time high right now. Uh, revenue, earnings, run rate, capital deployment pace, the return on our individual investments, coverage ratios, uh, all at levels we've never seen before in our 17 years. So uh, this is not a Q2. Uh, story. This is, uh, you know, many years of work from our staff, um, the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, originating the deals, diligencing the deals, structuring the deals, monitoring the companies once they're partners. Um, so I want to thank all of our staff, really, for, you know, these incredible results that have 
you know, come from a lot of hard work. Uh, looking forward, uh, the deal pipeline continues to be very robust. Uh, coming out of COVID, we're seeing a larger than usual number of companies coming to the market. Uh, it's certainly a tricky time as an investor. Uh, the pandemic has had a significant impact on, on most companies, both good and bad. In fact, I would say in general, we're probably seeing more positive bumps from COVID than, than negative. So determining what a normalized performance level is in this environment becomes a challenge, but with the experience that we have internally and with our third-party experts, uh, we think this is actually an, uh, an outstanding opportunity for us. Uh, we have several new partnerships in discussions, and we also have a record amount of follow-on opportunities uh, with our portfolio companies uh, coming out of COVID that we'll be pursuing in the second half of this year. Um, our decision to raise the dividend at this time was based on several factors, including the health of our portfolio, uh, as Darren mentioned, the expected uh, positive resets that we're tracking, and also the accretive capital deployment that we've already done over the last 12 months. All of these items contributed to our pay ratio dropping below 60% for the first time in our history. And with the anticipated redemptions of Kimco and Federal Resources, as Darren mentioned, we're still going to be at 70% uh, pay ratio with this new higher dividend rate. Um, but at that point, we'll also have $200 million, over $200 million of available capital to deploy. So with the deployment of that capital will again drive our pay ratio uh, down significantly. So our goal is to continue to drive down that pay ratio, but we do want to give our shareholders a consistent dividend growth rate. And I can't leave without uh, commenting on the decision of my, uh, my buddy, Mr. Driscoll, over here. Um, uh, as Darren said, we, we've been best friends since uh, the start of university here in Calgary, and as he likes to say, he joined me uh, once Alaris was able to start paying salaries <laughs> a few months after uh, I opened the doors in, in January of 2004. So. Uh, the things that we've seen, uh, we could make a great book out of, and I uh, thank him for all of it. Um, he's leaving Alaris at the, at the strongest stage in our history, and you know he's also leaving the company in great hands with his successor, Amanda. So Amanda's been a key cog for us for eight years, and even before then when we stole her from uh, the diligence team at, uh, at Ernst & Young uh, working on our files. And uh, Amanda and the rest of our team, uh, they were able to advance because of Darren's departure, are the present and the future of Alaris, and I can't wait to work with all of them for many years to come. So, Maddie, we'll, uh, we'll open it up to uh, questions. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from Scott Robertson of RBC Capital Markets. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Great, thanks. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. Uh, the first question I'd like to start with is on your sources of capital. Uh, so right now you have about $30 million of credit capacity. Uh, and as you mentioned, you expect you could get up to you know, $200 million of additional proceeds if uh, Federal and Kimco redeem their investments. Um, you know, but looking past these events, you know, how do you guys increase the scale of your available capital? Uh, is it you know, meeting with new 
banks to join the syndicate? Is there appetite for the existing members to increase um, you know, their share? You know, how do you guys think about your sources of funds over the next years as you, you know, try to deploy more capital? I think it's a real blend of opportunities, Scott, um, especially with the performance that we've had. There's, there's no shortage of, of capital out there looking for a home. Um, so I think it would be a blend uh, as our EBITDA continues to grow, our, our debt facility can grow. There's other banks that uh, are looking to join that syndicate. Um, uh, there's, the, uh, there's the high yield market, which uh, we've been approached on uh, quite a bit here. Um, there's uh, also, I think, an opportunity to have um, co-investors if, uh, if we really needed that, if we had, you know, large opportunities and, and maybe, you know, some things outside of the norm, um, uh, having uh, almost a sidecar co-invest type of um, transaction might make some sense. And then, of course, uh, the equity markets as well. But I would say at, uh, at these prices, the uh, equity markets would be our, our last choice out of those. Got it. And I guess, is, is there any line of sight on those um, those additional um, sources of capital? Like if you guys had a $100 million deal come through the door tomorrow, um, is there enough availability in the market to, to be able to fund fund it without going to the equity markets? We believe so, yes. Okay. Yeah, Scott, we've got we've got the, the last the last bank that joined us has stretch room. Each of the banks probably has a little bit of stretch. We have another new bank that's currently uh, you know diligencing and and looked at because our EBITDA now our EBITDA run rate is over 140 million, so we have room to stretch that 400. So um, we also you know if you get a little bit further along on a on our federal resources exemption, if if a, if a new deployment opportunity came in before that, uh, we've had full cooperation from our lenders, and I'm certain we can bridge uh, bridge that if the, that was required. So lots lots of options there. So we're not we're not slowing down by any means. We've got lots of deals we're looking at, and uh, and uh, nothing has changed as far as our sort of traditional path here. And I would say that uh, there's nothing in our pipeline that uh, we believe will need to close before we'll get proceeds from one of those two transactions. Got it. And I guess, have you given them, you know, like a drop dead date to decide whether or not they want to pursue a, a transaction with you guys? Because you know, the uncertainty think, can be tough, but obviously I know you guys like to work with your partners. So just wondering how to think about that. Yeah, they, they certainly are pursuing the transactions. It's just obviously uh, these types of things don't, uh, don't happen quickly. So we're just going through the process. Okay, fair. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a matter of uh, saying, you know, should we do something? They, they are doing something, and it's just, uh, it's just closing it. Got it. Um, and I guess, do you guys have any updates on, you know, the sandbox or the, the CRA files from the past year? Nothing, uh, nothing new on the sandbox front, and the CRA, uh, really nothing new either. Uh, we're, we're continuing to wait on a on a decision that's, uh, uh, that was appealed by the CRA, that if uh, the CRA is unsuccessful, we're, uh, we think that will be very, uh, very good for our position. Uh, but again, nothing, no further conversations on settlement. We're sort of quietly waiting. We still uh, think we've got a real good position here, and uh, we'll update people if, if anything happens. But uh, uh, as I've learned over the last uh, 17 years, nothing at the CRA uh, goes very quickly. There. Got it. Thanks. I'll read you.
Your next question comes from of Nick Fraby with CIBC Capital Markets. Yeah, thanks. Um, so the private company partner trends look overwhelmingly positive with respect to earnings and, and revenue growth on a year-to-date basis. Uh, there were only two that stood out to me that I wanted to ask about. So uh, revenue at LMS looks like it's down on a year-to-date basis. I, I think you alluded to this earlier, but that's your only uncapped investment. Uh, I recognize it had a big positive reset last year, but I was wondering if you could just give us a sense for the scale of the year-over-year decline, just trying to gauge how next year's reset might be shaping up. Yeah, our fair, our fair value is based on a 20% to decrease. Uh, this one's based on gross profit uh, because of the commodity price uh, impact. So their their volume and sales uh, line is intact. They're still doing lots of work, but again, the price of steel does uh, does impact uh, uh, how much money they make. They're still very very profitable, and uh, and and uh, again, their last four increases were all in the teens, including a 30 something percent uh, a couple of years ago. So giving a little bit of that back is uh, certainly nothing we're concerned about. But, you know, this was one of the first investments we did. Uh, it was uncollared, and and we learned the hard way that we should have a collar on our investments. That one went down in 2010 by a significant amount, and every deal we've done since then has had a collar. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they're they doing extremely well. Uh, uh, activity in, the, in Western Canada and uh, in California is... Is extremely high, but uh, as Darren mentioned, we've we've seen a well, everybody's seen a, a huge spike in um, in commodity prices, uh, lumber, steel, etc. So uh, it certainly impacted them. We we don't expect that to be a long term phenomenon. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, and then the only other one I want to ask about was uh, I noticed the ECR range uh decline on a sequential basis for Brown and Settle. I think it was the only one in the entire portfolio, but just given that that's a new partner and revenue and EBITDA are down on a year-to-date basis, I wonder if you could just provide a little bit of color on what you're seeing there. Yeah, you bet. So Brown and Settle is a site um, site remediation, site uh, preparation company, uh, mostly for the data center industry in uh, Northern Virginia, which is the data center capital of the world. And uh, so most of these projects are done for companies like uh, Amazon and, and Microsoft and Google. Uh, and there was, and they're very large projects. So you can have some short-term volatility when projects get delayed. And they had two very large projects that were both delayed in Q1, uh, partly because of just internal decisions at the end user, which was was Amazon, and partly because of the uh, the severe uh, weather storms that were in uh, the East Coast in, in Q1, if you recall. So uh, it can have a material impact on, on a company like this that uh, is kind of more project-related. And uh, so we just had a, a one-quarter uh, dip. Um, as Darren mentioned, the, the projects are all active today, and uh, the company's making uh, very good money on a quarterly basis now. But, we're, you know, we'll, in terms of the trailing 12-month results, uh, it'll take a year or two uh, to get rid of that Q1 out of the, the TTM numbers. So... Uh, no concern there, but uh, just something you have to live through in a company like that. Nick, I'd, I'd add, uh, for those that have followed us a long time, you know, Federal Resources is a company that, that, that did experience some fairly significant lumpiness that depending on the project, the contract they were doing, you know, quarter over quarter volatility was, you know, was pretty significant. And so there was lots of bouncing around and ECR uh, ranges. And so uh, this, this one will be one of our, um, uh, bouncier <laughs> uh, ones from from an ECR standpoint, 
Um, so uh, just something to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, but we're you know we're very long term in, in our focus. Um, you know, a quarter a quarter of, uh, of delays really has no impact on our investment thesis on this one. Uh, their backlog is double what it was last year, so this is a uh, this is a very good company. Understood. Okay, that's that's very helpful, color. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you. Thanks. Just a reminder to ask a question. You will need to press star one on your telephone to withdraw your question. Press the pound key. Our next question comes from the line of Zachary Evershow with National Bank Financial. Good morning, everyone. Congrats on a great quarter. Thanks. So follow up on Scott's question, uh, what types of co-investors would you be open to work with? Uh, that kind of stuff is, is nothing that I've gone down the road on because, uh, quite frankly, we just haven't needed it, and, and I don't anticipate that we will anytime soon. But um, I, I would say that the types of co-investors would, be, um, would be likely be pension funds. Makes sense. And then a bit of a housekeeping one for you. Operating expenses are about $12.5 million on a run rate, but how will that look in a post-COVID environment when your travel expenses and partner events ramp back up? Yeah, I think, I think it'll still be around uh, 12.5. Uh, I think we'll probably be under 12.5 this year. Uh, but, you know, we do have, little, like last year, we had some spikes from the, the trust conversion and, and our legal team had a lot to do with uh, working through the PPP loans of each of our partners. So it is a little bit hard to pin down, but uh, on 150-some-odd million of revenue, if our 12.5 goes to 13 or 13.5, we're, uh, we're not too concerned about that. But, uh, uh, you know, our regular travel, I, I think our travel will be less going forward. We're going to do a lot of our marketing uh, by by Zoom and Teams meetings, uh, but you will ne- you'll never uh, um, stop doing the, the travel to the U.S. Even a group uh, went down there last uh, week for a sort of a four city tour, a whirlwind uh, uh, tour, and that that stuff will certainly ramp up now that we're allowed to to go and come back without having to hunker down in our basement for a couple of weeks. <laughs> gotcha. Thanks. And. Uh, Given given the ongoing slog with the CRA and Sandbox, do you guys have a bit of padding in that budget for a ramp up in legal fees if it comes to that? You bet. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, padding, uh, there would be a little bit. You know, we have a reasonable amount for legal expenses each year. Uh, if anything really uh, jumped in, it would uh, we'd probably have to add to that 12 and a half. Understood. Thanks. All my other questions have been answered. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Zach. Your next question comes from the line of Lee Pettigrew with Macari Capital. Uh, I'd say good morning, but I'm uh, on the Aegean coast in Greece, so uh, Darren, uh, retirement isn't all that bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so, Darren, uh, congratulations on your retirement, and congratulations to everyone on a on a great quarter. Uh, I meant to ask an original question, but it's actually going to be more of a follow-up because I I've gone through the uh, the uh, press release in, in some detail and gone back to some of your other uh, uh, filing statements and so forth. And and uh, uh, with regards to the twelve and a half million, it's it's tough for me to uh, it's tough for me to kind of build that number up from you know executive compensation and so forth. And uh, you know, and I've been an investment banker for better part of 25 years I kind of know what travel costs and so forth are and 
and I know there's kind of some one-time costs with the conversions and so forth, but for for those of us who are maybe two or three steps behind, uh, some of the analysts have been following it for quite a while. If, if you don't mind being a little bit pedestrian uh, for the likes of me, uh, if you could kind of walk me through that number, it just on the face of it just seems uh, the sicker uh, shock is a, is a little bit there. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm uh, happy to answer that. I mean, we were when we were a $22 million company of revenue, we had uh, our G&A was probably eight and a half or nine. There's just certain amount of costs that uh, that uh, are, are required to run a public company. Uh, we have 16 staff. Uh, this includes base salaries. This includes uh, an estimate for an annual bonus that's been uh, around a million and a half. So probably three and a half of that is 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 people power. Um, then we would have our office, rents, travel, uh, legal and accounting for a public company is expensive. We also spend uh, money on our transactions. Uh, legal and loan would probably be a couple of million a year. Um, so it, it doesn't take too long to get to, uh, um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, uh, but that, that would be the mix of uh, legal and accounting, um, salaries, benefits, including a bonus, and then all corporate and office. So uh, travel, we host a, a conference uh, once a year with all of our partners that come and, and we get together and, um, and, 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 and network and get updates and build relationships with, with each of them. And so uh, we, I'm quite proud of how low our G&A is, uh, and especially as it's uh, held, held the line while our revenue has gone up significantly. You know, if we add a couple of more people uh, which we'll need to do if we add three or four more partners. We're adding a few hundred thousand to that, uh, and we're adding 10 or 20 million of revenue to the top line. We've got a, a really neat graph in the in the uh, in our at the back end of our slide deck that shows the the scalability and how our revenue is has uh, dramatically outpaced our uh, our G&A. Lee, another uh, way of looking at it is uh, we've got about 1.3 billion in investments right now, and uh, as you would know. Most fund managers, especially private equity fund managers, would get about 2% of assets under administration as, uh, as their G&A amount. That would equate to $26 million. Uh, so we're at 12 and a half, including public company costs. So uh, we're keeping a very lean operation here comparatively. Okay, thanks for your question for time. Enjoy, Greece. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Gary Ho with Desjardins Capital Market. Hey, um, good morning. Just the first question, um, just on the the uh, distribution Sorry. increase. Can you, uh, Steve, maybe comment on your comfort in the the payout ratio and and looking out? You know, if next year you're successful in your capital deployment strategy again. Um, and payout ratio drops, are you comfortable in, in raising that and, and moving back to a dividend growth um, story again? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned in, in my little piece, uh, our, our goal is to still drive down that payout ratio lower and lower. Um, I don't want to have 100% of our growth go to that, though. I, I think it will be the majority. Uh, I think it's important for our cost of capital to have um, uh, a valuation that's based on a growing dividend stream. So we did a very modest increase, um, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, even with the uh, the loss of Kimco and Federal Resources, uh, we will still be at 70% pay ratio. So you know, 
you know, within our target, but then we'll have 200 million to deploy, uh, which will, you know, be funded uh, just with our senior debt facility at less than 4%. So uh, very accretive uh, deployment at that stage, which would, you know, drastically reduce that 70% number and, and keep us on the path towards uh, a lower and lower payout ratio. So yeah, we're, we're obviously we're very comfortable with, uh, with that dividend increase. Got it. Okay. And then uh, second question, sorry to go back to the GNA. Uh, isn't there typical, typically in Q4 the, the bonus payment? Um, I think there was something in Q4 last year. Um, any thoughts on what that number could be um, as we're kind of halfway through, through the year? Uh, starting to see it. I mean, it, I think last year it was a million and a half. It's, it's based on a formula, based on uh, an increase in distributable cash per share. Um, it will probably be, a, it will be a little higher than last year just because of our growth numbers, but uh, I don't have too much clarity, but I would say somewhere in the two and a half million is probably a, um, a reasonable guess at the moment, but it really depends. Uh, you know, the redemptions actually hurt that number, um, so depending on when those happen, uh, there's, there's a number of things that can, uh, can change that. Future deployment helps it, um, so a little, a little too early at Q3, I'll have a much better idea. Got it. Uh, those are my questions. Thanks very much. Thanks, Gary. And your last question comes from online of Trevor Reynolds with Acumen Capital. Trevor, we, we can't hear you. Sorry, guys. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Much better. Okay, sorry about that. Um, just curious about the uh, market competition on deals. Uh, any change since since last quarter? Uh, not since last quarter. No, it's uh, it's it's still extremely competitive. Um, you know, we're going through a couple of bids right now where we're in the finals, uh, and in one of them at least we're in against uh, certainly more than a dozen bidders. So uh, that uh, you know, we, we've seen that for years. To be honest, uh, there's a still a lot of capital out there. A lot of these funds have been successful in raising new capital as well over the last uh, quarter or two. But um, you know, our, our story is the same. Um, if if an entrepreneur wants to keep their business and uh, enjoy more of the upside, uh, our preferred shares are going to be a better fit for them than uh, than common equity. And uh, so. You know, we, we still don't have uh, a head-to-head competitor, I would say, uh, in that marketplace. And we're seeing that story resonate uh, seemingly much more now than, uh, than in the past. I think our business development guys have done uh, an incredible job in getting our message out there and, and finding uh, kind of the right situations for us to get into. That's helpful. Thanks. Um, and then just uh, on the the minor decrease in the the Kimco expected uh, proceeds, can you just uh, touch on that, Fred? Uh, that's just simply because we've collected eight million of it in the last uh, a few months. They've paid prom notes, they've paid unpaid distributions. So, so the total value that we would have said a while ago still holds, but we've collected uh, eight eight millions already in our jeans. Okay, I thought that was the case. I just wanted to confirm. All right, that's yeah. it for me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Trevor. And there are no more questions at this time. Mr. King, do you have any closing remarks? 
yeah, I just want to thank everybody again for um, for tuning in. And uh, as usual, if you have any further questions, both Darren and I and, and Amanda are here to uh, answer any of them. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Q3. Thanks very much. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.